The city of the future, we are told, is the smart city by seamlessly integrating information and communication technologies into the provision and management of public services. Such cities should enhance opportunity and bolster civic engagement. Smarter cities will bring in new revenue while saving money. They will be more of everything that a 21st century urban planner, citizen, and elected official wants. More efficient, more sustainable, and healthier. But will smart cities help us all be more inclusive? Will they end up positively helping or negatively amplifying existing inequities in our society? Will smart cities really live up to their potential? Welcome, I'm Ayanna Howard, Dean of Engineering at The Ohio State University, and this is Ingenuity. Jennifer Clark is professor and head of the City and Regional Planning Section at the Knowlton School in The Ohio State University College of Engineering. She is also a visiting professor of City and Regional Planning at the University of Stavanger in Norway. She has provided expert testimony before the U.S. Congress and policy advice to the Canadian, U.K., and U.S. governments. Before joining the Knowlton School, Professor Clark taught at Cornell and Georgia Tech. In her most recent book, Uneven Innovation, The Work of Smart Cities, Professor Clark considers the potential of emerging smart city technologies, as well as their capacity to make existing inequalities worse, and even produce new ones. Jennifer, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, Dean Howard. Happy to be here. Okay, so here at Ohio State, City and Regional Planning is a section within the Austin E. Knowlton School of Architecture, which is in turn part of the College of Engineering. Now, this makes total sense to me because of the connections architecture and engineering have with building and growing a city. But for those of you who are not in the know, could you explain the convergence of these disciplines and maybe how each could collaborate better with the other? Uh, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, I actually agree with you uh, that this is um, really the right place for a city and regional planning uh, program to be, to be inside an architecture school, inside a college of engineering, and inside one of the largest uh, public universities uh, in, the, uh, in the United States. Um, what that uh, position allows us to do is a lot of things that actually our peers are not able to do at other institutions. Um, for one thing, as from our position within the School of Architecture, uh, with our colleagues in landscape uh, architecture and in architecture itself, uh, we're able to work on our uh, our approaches in the discipline to have similar pedagogical approaches. So we're very committed to things like studio teaching and the idea of experiential learning. So our discipline has a has a big commitment, but also one of our uh, our our core values is that around that experiential learning, because we're both a discipline in the sense of an academic research discipline, but we're also a practice, and we're training uh, students for professional pra practice both at the undergraduate level. Um, and at, at the graduate level. So in that sense, we're also very close to engineering uh, as well. So you can see how that dovetails really nicely. In the other way I think about the, the Knowlton School, the context of the Knowlton School for us is that we're looking at architecture at the building scale, landscape architecture at the scale of the site, and then city and regional planning at that scale of the city and the region, and even in the comparative global context. So we're almost nested in, in, that, in that sense. Um, and the one th another thing that's really been nice for uh, 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 city and regional planning where we are is that we're um, 
able to, because we're linked to so nicely within our own school and in, in the college, we're able to do things uh, like focus on diversity and inclusion. So right now, as I'm sure you know, we, uh, we have the RAISE initiative uh, cluster hire that we're doing with uh, civil engineering. And that's partly because civil engineering is one of the allied disciplines for us. We already have a, a faculty that we share in common that are dual, uh, uh, dual hires between us. Computer science, also a field that really dovetails with where we are in city and regional planning right now. Um, because they, we share the sites of inquiry in terms of technological and physical infrastructure, environment, transportation, um, the, and the methods we use around urban analytics and the development of, of uh, big data, but also thinking clearly about how to use uh, uh, big data. So the research centers in the College of Engineering are also really um, align really nicely with what we do. So I, I love the fact that you brought in this word experiential learning and collaboration. Of course, you threw out data and analytics, and I think that really is the, the overlap of, between architecture and, and engineering, which is great. So when you think about this overlap and you think about convergence, I would think a good opportunity for that convergence of engineering, architecture, you mentioned civil, computer science, is really in this smart city concept. Placing the word smart before a noun typically connotes, you know, new, improved, modern, high tech, just plain smart. Uh, so I kind of like the smart part. But even if we think about more commercial applications, smartphones and smart cities and smart TVs, and we discussed in one of the previous episodes, smart clothes. So what I'd like to, you to do is really help our listeners understand what a smart city really is. Yeah, and this is uh, what always struck me about the sort of beginnings of the smart cities discourse, which was really initially driven by uh, large firms like IBM or Siemens around uh, 2010, um, was uh, how much the conversation really was focused on the, the smart side of the, of the two words and less so really a conversation about cities. Um, and particularly uh, things that those of us who are in urban planning or study cities are, are really focused on, like how are cities governed? Who makes the decisions in cities? Uh, what are the circumstances of the existing networks of incumbent technologies and infrastructure? Um, so that's the water, the energy, the transportation, and even things like how we enable and, and facilitate work and leisure. So, you know, one of the interesting things about smart cities is it didn't, it's not really a conversation that or, uh, originated with urban planners or other experts on cities, but on, uh, with experts uh, in systems technologies who were looking for uh, how to make this this new set of applications? So, as you say, uh, the word we have the word smart in front of all sorts of, of technologies, and in many cases, what we were looking at when the, the transfer to looking at what the applications to cities uh, would be or could be, that's been uh, applications that are, are modified from existing industry or or even military applications. Um, so. It, in some sense, you have to think of the city, or one thinks of the city, as a sort of a new site for the application of technologies that were pre previously designed and implemented in and for other contexts. The city is basically a new market for these technologies. Um, but it's also a site for the prototyping of, of new um, ICT-enabled systems, platforms, and objects. Uh, the city is a sort of an aggregation of potential customers, and it's also a geography that concentrates uh, the demand for things like ride hailing or um, 
e-scooters or AVs, and at the same time, uh, the, the tools that we're um, that we're very interested in, in urban planning, um, in, in, interested in the tools around uh, civic communications, and. Uh, increasing participation and engagement. So it's a it's a real opportunity uh, for cities uh, to use these technologies, but the story about how those technologies uh, really uh, are tailored to the specific needs of specific cities is still a story we're trying to sort of work out that narrative. I think Columbus, for example, um, has understood that the Smart Cities Project is, uh, is one that's uh, still being built has participated in particular in the um, uh, the idea that that investment in the infrastructure and the systems around smart cities is part of an economic development project. So part of the effort to make uh, the city and the region more economically competitive uh, with those investments. So there's an optimization component that we think about a lot when we look at it sort of from the engineering side of it, but there's also an economic sort of resilience component of it when we look at it through the view of economic development planning. What's interesting is, is how you talk about this story and this narrative. And you had said SMART came before the city and that it didn't originally involve urban planners, which basically means the SMART was probably the engineer's side yeah. uh, and then involve the urban planners and the architects. Um, and so if you think about the city as a living lab and you think about the data, um, now you're getting into things that I'm very comfortable with with respect to um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, and my experience in this domain tells me that the more technology and more interconnectedness you have, it doesn't always equate to a better product or better solutions to the problem. And unfortunately, sometimes it results in even more problems. And so from your lens, and you think about this technology and how the technology is integrated and who is integrating the technology, this all matters. From your lens, can you talk a little bit about, is this the same for smart cities or, or, or is it different, is it special? I, one of the arguments that I make is that it smarts, that smart cities isn't novel in this, within the context of, of the history of urban planning. Uh, the adoption or the absorption of new technologies into how we manage and, uh, and maintain uh, cities is part and parcel of what we do in urban planning. We've always been integrated. So this is, and you will be familiar with this from your discipline as well, that, that sometimes we, we understand that the, the, the novelty is, is not quite as, as sometimes the, the, the buzz uh, uh, tries to convince us of. Um, so this is one of the concerns that I, I think urban planners have. And oh, to be fair, one of the reasons I think urban planners were bypassed in the early conversations about the implementation of smart cities is that the need of, uh, for the smart cities technologies really is about this idea of uh, creating um, places that are platforms for economic activity, right? So if you have antiquated places, if we have antiquated cities, what we're going to have is we're going to have places that are unevenly disadvantaged as compared to other places. So this is one of the, the questions about prototyping and test beds, is this question of haves and have not. The, the test beds get the technology, the places that are waiting to see how the prototype plays out are, are, are left without it. So the question is, how, what's our plan for, for evening out that playing field? when are we going to implement the, the smart cities technologies ac across, uh, across the space at different places uh, and how long do some places have to wait for that? 
this question would we would have more f faith or, or or maybe we would say more uh, willingness to wait if we had not seen this movie before, right? Where, uh, where some places get the infrastructure and other places are left behind. So one of the things that's, that's uh, I, th I think, very much the urban planners, is, and certainly I feel this way about the Smart Cities Project, is that this is a great opportunity but we have to have learned from the past. We have to have learned from the past practices and figure out how we're going to do better. And that's what the idea about thinking about uneven innovation is saying from the beginning. It's not industry's goal. Industry. It's not industry's job to think about this question of the even distribution. It's our job. It's those of us who are urban planners, those of us who are civic leaders, those of us who are in the public sector, because the priorities for how we do this, the the goals and and sort of the values for how you uh, deploy advantages in the public spaces, it's different. It's different. We're, we have an obligation to provide these an equitable distribution of this infrastructure. So in case, um, Jennifer, you kind of slid in uneven innovation, but you know, you talk about this in, in it's, a, it's a manuscript, it's a book. Um, and so uh, I just want our listeners to know that all of the things that you're saying and talking about is written down, it has the pedagogy, it has the scholarship, and has this conversation. Um, so I just want our listeners to know that there is a book. Uh, this is not just wistful thinking. It, it really is grounded in, in theory and reality. Okay, so one of the things about smart cities um, is this aspect of, of data. And I've heard you talk a little bit about, I think it was like data governance or specialized knowledge. Um, can you explain a little bit about what does that really mean? Yeah, I, one of the, the the things that stops people from uh, f from sort of embracing smart cities technologies, and especially some of the smart cities technologies that that people have identified as as, uh, as being potentially uh, really helpful, things like uh, optimizing public health delivery, right? There's a lot of concerns around the question of individual privacy. So one of the things that's that's gotten confused in the smart cities conversation is how we think about the privatization of data versus privacy and data, right? And one of the the, the ways forward for, for smart cities and sort of the potential of smart cities is really to think about a framework for data govern, governance around how data is collected, shared, and used that understands that privatization of the data, so essentially a private from collecting the data, is not the same thing as the question of data privacy. These are actually two different conversations. And typically uh, in cities, uh, those of us who are citizens and residents, we often give our, our data, personal data, over to our to the public sector, to the city. The city knows how your tax, your property taxes. They know all sorts of things about you, uh, and we sort of have an understanding that if it's my city that's collecting the data, they have some uh, they have some industry standards, let's say, around what they use it for. They don't commodify it the same way a private company would. When we are talking about third-party vendors, we worry about the privatization of the data, and then we consequently worry about data privacy in a much in a much more heightened way. So, part of the conversation um, around uh, around data governance has to really recognize the the clarity around those two concepts of of privacy and privatization of individual data. So, you know, in terms of uh, moving forward in in the Smart Cities project and really realizing some of the these, these goals and aspirations. 
uh, one idea, you know, one thing we really have to do is draw on specialized knowledge of the local context, and this is why teaching and training urban planners is so important because we need to build back that capacity within cities and city governments and regional governments to actually have that research capacity there and that technical expertise around these technologies. We need to think about this data governance issue and we need to think about how we're going to make public participation essential for the decision making and prioritization of these technologies. You have put a whole twist to the word data privacy and data governance. I appreciate that. So when you think about our students and city regional planning students and their role in this whole ecosystem and their role in addressing inequities or inequalities that might come out from, from designing the next generation smart city, how are we enabling our students to think about this technology and technology's role in how cities function? And, and really making sure that we have um, a smart city that is built with equity and inclusion um, first and foremost as in the design and infrastructure. One of my favorite things about this job is the students are really, really different every year. It's not Groundhog Day, it's different every year. And one of the things that the students uh, that are coming through the programs it, it, it right now is that they are super, super concerned about this question of, of inclusion and equitable distribution of resources and how they can sort of make the change. It's, it's a really, um, so we're challenged by them in the sense that they're pushing our models um, and they're pushing our, our, and they're pushing us to uh, partner with them on creating new models. So in, in, in teaching planning, um, you know, we're always uh, dealing with emerging technologies. We're always trying to teach uh, analytical tools. But what we also do is we try to teach students how to be prepared for professional practice that isn't going to be the professional practice they walk into today. It's going to be the next 35 years is going to be really, really different for them. So what we're trying to teach them is around the question of planning processes, right? So they have what we call sort of the technical expertise around, say, land use planning or transportation planning or economic development planning, which is my area. But they also have to learn how to manage planning processes so that they can adopt these new technologies and make decisions about these new technologies as they come down the pike throughout the throughout their career. So you'll see that you know this is where the the conversation about experiential learning is so important because we have to sort of learn by doing, right? This idea of building the confidence to be able to uh, make critical critical judgments about how to work with communities to determine what alternatives will work for them. So one of the things, another book that I wrote was actually about planning analysis and, and methods. And a big part of that uh, is about teaching students how to generate alternative futures, how to think about the alternative futures with the communities we're engaged with, and help them envision the future that works for them, which is the goals, represents their goals and values. We do that really through trying to expose them not just to the local conditions, which are actually really important, uh, particularly here in central Ohio, because we have 
great organizations and partners like Morpsey who work with us on internship programs, work with us and are, you know, employ lots and lots of our students full of our alumni. Um, but we also uh, try to make sure that we're bringing in global perspectives so that we're bringing in voices from the global south, not just the global north, and uh, allowing our students to think about um, how to manage and plan for change. It's one of the things that I think sometimes uh, people don't understand about urban planners is that we have an uncomfortable relationship with the status quo. <laughs> for planners are really about change. Uh, so uh, the the for us uh, these this practice of, of, of teaching students how to think about how the natural environment, the built environment, and the communities they're going to work with are going to change over time is, is core to what we do. So I'm going to take your last statement. Uh, planners are really about change. And I'm going to say planners, architects, and engineers are really about change. I, I love that as an ending. So today we've been reminded that if innovation occurs in a vacuum, there often are negative consequences, at least for some of us. We all have an obligation to, yes, innovate, but to do so with deliberate and collaborative thinking on how new technology and new solutions affect everyone in a community, not just the innovators. I appreciate Professor Jennifer Clark for joining us today. I think we're all a little smarter because of it. If you like what you heard and are interested in learning more or suggesting your own topics for ingenuity, be sure to connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at OSU Engineering. Thanks for listening.